Well, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. We are up to Isaiah chapter 45, and this is the chapter that God speaks to us about Cyrus. Let's open with a word of prayer and get into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God Almighty, uh, just humbled and in awe of your majesty, in awe of your loyalty, of your covenant love. And we just thank you so much, Father, that we have a relationship with you, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the prophets, especially this prophet Isaiah that we're studying. And we pray, Father, for a greater depth of understanding, uh, for much greater conviction and, and understanding, Father. We praise you. We pray, Father, you'll strengthen our faith. And we ask that you'll bless our study and our understanding. We ask this, Lord, in our holy Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 45 and uh, let me just uh, check one thing on Facebook. I want to see if I can um, have a live feed for some of our comments on Facebook and I just have to do something here. So uh, we, we may be able to have a live feed from our folks on Facebook now that I have figured this uh, at this um, functionality out. So I think that's good. Okay, so I'll leave that for later. So Isaiah chapter 45, and uh, let's get into the text. Here, uh, last week we were in chapter 44, and uh, that chapter opened with God saying, Yet now hear, O Jacob my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord that made you, and formed you from the womb. So God is the one that made Israel, and formed Israel from the womb. And he says, which will help you? So God, we learned that God formed Israel from the womb and he will help Israel. So there's a, there's a relationship that God has with Israel that is very intentional. God formed her from the womb and he's going to look after her, which will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So if you missed uh, last week's study, I went into... Uh, Jeshurun in, in actually the last two weeks so that's in the archive so please uh, feel free to uh, access the ar archive to get an understanding of Jeshurun but so so what we see here or what we see uh, what we saw in Isaiah 44 is that God has a special relationship with Israel he created Israel he formed Israel from the womb and he's telling her do not be afraid I, I'm the one who created you and I created you for a purpose and then we ended the chapter with verse 28 where he says that says of Cyrus he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure so so this is the God that Isaiah says he, he's speaking of this this king called Cyrus that is the shepherd of God and this shepherd of God notice that this is a, a pagan king a secular leader that God is going to raise up who's going to do the pleasure of God and we'll find out what that is. Even saying to Jerusalem, so this king, this secular king, this pagan king, is going to say to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So Cyrus is a, a type of the Messiah. And again, God, what God does is he lays down a pattern, and that pattern then repeats. And ultimately, it uh, culminates in the end. So Isaiah has this sort of near-term, long-term way of speaking and we have to just uh, understand from the context is this a near-term fulfillment 
or is this a pattern being laid down that's going to be a longer term fulfillment or is it just completely the ultimate fulfillment so so Isaiah constantly toggles between a near-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment and often the near-term fulfillment is just a pattern that's being laid down for the longer term fulfillment so Cyrus is a type of Christ he's a type of Messiah the anointed one uh, but God is going to do something with Cyrus that is to encourage uh, Jerusalem so Cyrus is going to tell Jerusalem you shall be built and this is the context then really I think the chapter break should have been verse 28 of chapter 44 but that be, be that as it may uh, verse 28 introduces now chapter 45 thus says the Lord to Cyrus and so Cyrus was this great uh, Persian king Cyrus the Great and God said to Cyrus his anointed in other words Cyrus is a Messiah thus says to the Lord to the Messiah to Cyrus whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut so he's going to have this glorious kingdom and in fact when um, the Shah of Iran was celebrating the 2500th anniversary of Persia he put on this spectacular banquet that he invited all the kings of the world and all the prime ministers and presidents to join him and he wanted to show them the splendor of Persia and, and the, the, the kingdom of Cyrus and so it was a, it was a spectacular um, it was a spectacular uh, dinner party uh, just a spectacle and, and, and what he wanted was all these kings and all these leaders to understand how great the Persian Empire was. And uh, I think his, this was his downfall because the um, religious fundamentalists really decried this. And this is what gave rise to the Ayatollah Khomeini being able to come out of exile and basically uh, crush the Shah of Iran with the Iranian Revolution some 40 years ago. Uh, and so it was this um, this display of wealth and this wasting of, they believe, wasting of hundreds of millions of dollars. But the Shah's point was, uh, this is how great an empire we come from. And I think his real undoing was he, he named himself the King of Kings. And so he wanted all the kings of the earth to know that he was the King of Kings. Well, I think God showed him uh, not so much. Now, what's interesting about uh, Cyrus uh, today is that many Jews are claiming that Donald Trump is today's Cyrus because of this uh, notion here that we saw in the scripture that because of Cyrus uh, Jerusalem could be built so as the, the Cyrus was the secular king who, who says to Jerusalem that your, your, your walls shall be built the temple the foundation shall be laid and so because Donald Trump has uh, gestured to Jerusalem and to, to make Jerusalem acknowledge that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and to move the US Embassy there and to support Israel, they are honoring uh, Donald Trump as the Cyrus of today. And in fact, they have minted special coins in Jerusalem with King Cyrus and Donald Trump on the coin. And, and this is something that they've just acknowledged that this secular leader has enabled um, the Jews or is enabling the Jews to reestablish Jerusalem as their capital and so he is seen as the Cyrus of today now personally I don't buy this 
and I don't buy it because in Luke 13:35, Jesus Christ was very clear. He said, Behold, he's speaking to Jerusalem, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And truly I say unto you, You shall not see me until the time comes when you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So basically Christ said they rejected him and he has rejected them until the punishment comes upon them. And that's the prophecy we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 that these people will be blind and deaf until the city is laid waste, until it is completely desolate. And then they're going to turn to Jesus Christ and acknowledge him. They will see him whom they've pierced and they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So uh, he is not the, um, in my opinion, he is not the Cyrus of, um, uh, as the Jews would like to believe that he is some sort of modern day they've rejected Jesus Christ many Jews are very secular the ones that are religious hate Jesus Christ they have nothing to do with him so why would Jesus bring them back into the land when the land is holy and they can only dwell there when they are holy and so there is going to be this second exodus and God is going to gather them from all of them the four corners of the earth and he is going to establish them in the land but there's a process that they have to go through first if Donald Trump is anything in terms of Osiris he is a more, and, and I know many, many Christians have trouble with Donald Trump because he's a very coarse man. Uh, he speaks in, or has spoken in very vulgar terms. And so they have a, a lot of trouble uh, with, with uh, Donald Trump. But I think we need to understand that he is, in a sense, the Cyrus to Christians. That Christians all over the, Christians are the most persecuted group on earth today that some 300 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide, primarily in Muslim countries. And we fall for this, Muslims and Christians, we can all get along. Yeah, we can all get along as long as the Muslims are in the minority. But you tell me a, a majority Muslim country where Sharia law is practiced, where Christians are not persecuted. And what Donald Trump is doing, unlike his predecessor, is he is certainly reestablishing the primacy of Christianity in America, and, you know, and America really is, is the leader of the, the, the free world. But uh, this person put a video together which uh, I think speaks for itself. Your faith and prayers have sustained me. What I hear most often as I travel the country are five words that never, ever fail to touch my heart. That's, I am praying for you. I hear it so often. I am praying for you, Mr. President. Most importantly, I brought my Bible. Acknowledges okay. the Bible. There are those that are offended by the Holy Bible. But my father came from a Kenyan family that includes generations of Muslims. And as Jesus said, you are either for him or you are against him. Amen. As the Holy Quran tells us, the Holy Quran teaches that, the Holy Quran tells us, and the Holy Quran also says, Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. And Ed Shoma Mubarak.
So people have uh, no idea what is in the Quran. It's a very difficult book to read. I've recommended many times uh, the book, The Two-Hour Quran. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. That makes it very simple, very clear to understand it. But uh, most people are too, too lazy to read it or just find it too difficult to understand. The Holy Quran teaches us that Christians are infidels and Christians are, are, are evil and Christians should be persecuted. And so Donald Trump, as long as he's in power, he's actually acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the God of the Bible and that Christianity is the religion of the United States. And, and by extension, that puts Christians in a good light worldwide. And you see, you, you did not see Christian pastors being liberated under the previous administration. You did not see Christian pastors praying in the White House under the previous administration. So if you're a Christian, I think you need to think twice about denigrating the current president of the United States. So if, any, if he's a Cyrus for anybody, he's a Cyrus for the Christian community. Now let's uh, continue in the text. So Christ makes it very clear to, the, to, to Israel, to, the, to, to Jerusalem specifically, they will not see him again until they're begging to see him. And that's how that relationship ended. Now, that Cyrus is a type of Messiah, a type of Christ. If you read the Psalm 2, uh, God says to Christ, Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. So that is what God is doing, or did do, uh, has done with this uh, secular leader, King Cyrus. And so... Uh, we, we just read that God raised up Cyrus and he gave him the, the heathen nations so that he could subdue them so that he could allow Jerusalem to be rebuilt. So Cyrus is a type of Messiah. Continuing in Isaiah 45, he says, of, he says to Cyrus, Cyrus says, this is 150 years before Cyrus is born. This is why, or one of the reasons why, um, they like to call it first Isaiah and second Isaiah. And by second Isaiah, what they mean is, it's another Isaiah. It's another man that uh, wrote this historically. No, no, no. Christ quoted Isaiah as one prophet and quoted from first Isaiah and second Isaiah when he was on the earth. And he didn't say, oh, there are two Isaiahs. He just said the prophet Isaiah. And so, and there is very clear evidence in archaeological support that Isaiah was written 150 years before Cyrus. And so this is very, very powerful. Uh, material in terms of the proof of God. And in fact, God is going to show us that this is what he wants to establish as his credibility to his people, that he predicts the future. And that's how we can have confidence in his word. So he says here to Cyrus, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Remember, at the time that Isaiah is prophesying this and that this is being recorded, Assyria is the superpower. Babylon is nothing. Babylon's a little town. Nobody's thinking about Babylon. Assyria is the superpower, and everybody is worried. Certainly Judah is worried about the conquest coming from Assyria. And Isaiah is writing and saying, uh, no, you need to be worried about Babylon, and don't worry too much because another nation, Persia, is going to crush Babylon 150 years before the fact. Amazing. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, which call you by name, 
am the God of Israel. So Cyrus, when he was born and grew up and became king of Persia, uh, and they were able to show him these prophecies, that you've been, you've been selected by name. He certainly understood that the God of the Jews is the true God. And God records it here that you will know that I'm the God. I called you by name so that you will know that I am the God of Israel. So this, Pers this great king, and you saw the Shah of Iran showing the world uh, just how wonderful, how, how magnificent this Persian empire was. Well, and he had the audacity to call himself the king of kings. Cyrus understood who the king of kings was. He goes on, that you're going to know that I'm the God of Israel. Why? For Jacob, my servant's sake. So God formed Jacob from the womb, and now he's, he's raising up Cyrus so that Cyrus will know that he's the true God. Why? For Jacob's sake. That he, he, he wants Jacob, don't be afraid, Jacob. I'm going to rescue you. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. I have even called you by name. So he's, he's raising up Cyrus. Why? And giving Cyrus all this wealth and power in order to protect Jacob. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. So many people are, will quote this to say, Oh, Jesus Christ can't be God. Look, there's no God. No, this, is, this is the Lord speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to Cyrus. And he's telling Cyrus, this Persian king, there is nobody else except him. He is the God. So Cyrus will understand and then do God's will in liberating the people of Judah from Babylon. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded you, though you have not known me. And this is, again, these are the scriptures that the Jews look to to say this is why they see President Trump as a type of Cyrus. And they're printing these. They're really honoring him as the modern-day Cyrus. So, so they're showing that you don't have to know God in order to be used by God. And again, to the Christian community, please, I hear so many Christians denigrating President Trump. Please stop. Please stop. The day President Trump, God forbid if he's assassinated, there's so much hatred toward him, or when he finally finishes his term, maybe he doesn't go for a second term, or we get him as a second term. But when, he's, when, when this man who has such uh, thick skin, in a way, he's very thin-skinned, but also he's very thick-skinned because the amount of persecution he faces, and he just carries on, he just carries on. America has to win. Uh, when he's gone, I don't see any other leader being able to stand up to this intense globalist persecution. The globalists have their agenda, and he's in the way. And so they're manipulating the masses to hate him, to help remove him. But once he's removed, the persecution that is going to come upon Christians... Woe unto you if you helped bring that persecution about. So he doesn't have to know God in order to be used by God. That's what the Jews are saying. So though Cyrus didn't know him, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. So Cyrus doesn't know God, but God is using him so that Judah may know, Jacob may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. So God is really driving this point home. I am God. And it's like there's a dispute. There's another God. There are many other gods. Well, who's the real God? God is saying, I am. And he wants his people to know this and to be confident, excuse me, and not to be afraid. Now, this is a very um, difficult passage. Very difficult passage. I think it's caused a lot of confusion 
for a lot of people. He says here, I form the light. Okay, we don't have a problem with that. God is, forms the light. This is the part. And create darkness. So God forms the light, but he's also the one that creates darkness. He says, I make peace, and uh-oh, what do we do with this? And God creates evil. He creates evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So people will see this, and in fact many atheists and other, other types of religions who don't believe in the Bible will throw this in Christians' faces. And then Christians don't know what to do with this. That God creates evil? Is, does, does God truly create evil? He says so here. And there's no two ways around this. The, the, the scripture is very clear. Now, what we need to understand is, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that God creates uh, darkness. We don't have a problem with that. But what does it mean that he creates evil? Well, I don't create is obvious. He's the one that brings it about. Evil is what we have to understand. So evil in English, you know, we think of Satan when we think evil. But really, the word is better translated catastrophe. So I make peace and I make catastrophe. And this, again, we don't just take a single verse, you know, verse 45, uh, verse 7 of chapter 45, as if it stands by itself. It's part of an argument. It's part of a context that God formed Israel from the womb. And he's telling Israel, don't be afraid. Why? Because there is catastrophe. And now God is telling Israel, look, I'm the one that makes peace. And I'm the one who creates catastrophe. And there's nobody else beside me. So if we, if we see this, if we just look at Deuteronomy, this is good. You have to understand Deuteronomy because that's the law. That's where the law is laid down and the relationship that God has with Israel, the terms and conditions of that relationship are defined in Deuteronomy. And he makes it very clear in Deuteronomy that it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good, so he said, you know, here's, here are all the blessings you're going to have if you obey me. Here's what's going to happen if you disobey me. We're, in, we're entering into a covenant agreement. Are you sure you want to enter into this? And Israel said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Great. So they became married. So he says, as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good when you obeyed and to multiply you, if you disobey, in the same way as he rejoiced over you to do you good, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you. This is, this is be sure you're, you know what you're doing if you're going to enter into covenant with God. You have to keep your word because God keeps his word. In, in the same way that he rejoiced over you to bless you for doing, for doing what was right. If you disobey, because God is a God of integrity, he, his character forces him to fulfill his word. And so he will rejoice over you. In other words, he will enthusiastically fulfill his word. And so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land. Again, you cannot stay in the land and, and if you're not holy. You'll be plucked from it or you'll be subjugated, whether you go to possess it. So that's what it means that he, the Lord, creates peace, but he also creates catastrophe. Because that's, that's what he said he would do. Now we see this in Amos. He says, you that, speaking this, Amos is speaking to Israel, you that put far away the evil day the day of calamity, the day of catastrophe. You, you, you don't think it's going to come. It's coming. And so you Israelites who are putting away 
far away that evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near so you don't care about the law. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive. God keeps his word. He said that this would, if you, if you do not obey me, this is what's going to happen. And so we read the Bible and just see how this is fulfilled. So you will go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord has sworn by himself. God is a God of integrity. The Lord has sworn by himself, says the Lord God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob. So as he rejoiced over Jacob to do him good, and then Jacob became Jeshurun, and was waxed fat and became arrogant and forgot the Lord. Now, when, when Jacob came to his excellence, because Israel was a very wealthy uh, kingdom, uh, so then God abhorred the excellency. This is Jeshurun. God abhorred the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. This, so this is the evil that God creates. This is the calamity that he personally makes sure that this happens. And we saw that in Habakkuk. When Habakkuk was living in the midst of all of this evil in Israel and cried to the Lord and said, how come you don't do anything? And God said, no, I, I am doing something. Look to the heathen. Behold you among the heathen. Because I, God, am doing a, a, an unbelievable work. I'm raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation, to come and possess the dwelling places that are not theirs, to come and crush my people. I, God, am doing this. And so here as well, uh, through Isaiah, earlier, in, we'll, we'll do um, 1 to 39 later, but in chapters 1 to 39 are the judgments. <clears throat> and here in chapter 10, we see God say, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger. So this powerful empire, and this powerful king, you know, he thinks that he is just so powerful. He's actually a puppet in God's hands. God is, God is raising him up and allowing him to do this calamitous act against his own people. And God is the one who is allowing it because of the terms and condition of the covenant. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, he's the tool of God. And the staff in their hand is my indignation. So their weaponry is, is an expression of God's fury upon Israel. I will send him against the hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge, to take the spoil and to take the prey. So all that wealth that they had is going to be taken away from them, and to tread down like the mire of the street. So this was the superpower that Israel uh, was terrified of, that actually came and crushed Israel, Judah was then terrified of Israel. And Isaiah is saying to Judah, Assyria is not your problem. Your, your problem is Babylon. And then don't worry because you will not be extinguished. Because God is going to raise up another king of Persia to crush Babylon, to free you, so that you can be reestablished in the land. And then, of course, we know they are unfaithful again. But that was the pattern to show that when Christ comes, like Cyrus, he's going to crush Babylon. He's going to crush Assyria. And he's going to release his people and gather them and put them back in the land to reestablish the land. Howbeit, uh, this king of Assyria doesn't mean so. In, in other words, the king of Assyria does not intend to be God's tool, to be the rod of God's anger. He doesn't mean to do that. He thinks he, he's just a great man and he needs to express his greatness. So he doesn't mean that. Neither does his heart think so. 
Instead, it is in his heart to destroy and cut off many nations. That's what's in his heart. He doesn't realize that God is allowing that so that he can be the tool of God's anger. We'll come back to Isaiah 45, verse 7. So this is what it means when he says, I form the light. So certainly we know God forms the light and he creates darkness. So this contrast between light and dark, but there's also a contrast between peace and calamity. And because of the covenant, the calamity on Israel and Judah actually comes from God. And God is saying this so that it will encourage Judah to say that there's no other God except God. And all of this calamity is at God's hand. So repent, turn to him because it, he can turn it away. He says, I, the Lord, do all these things. So if you read Isaiah 47 without the context of the book, then you're going to come to all kinds of strange conclusions about God creating evil. But if you just stay within Isaiah and understand what Isaiah is saying, that evil means calamity. And it's God. God is telling Israel, I'm the one who do, does all these things. Drop down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. So this is, this is, this is the context. So it's God that's orchestrating all of this. He orchestrates the peace upon Israel. Then he orchestrates the calamity to turn their hearts. Then, then he brings peace. But then he'll bring calamity again because he's forming them into a righteous nation that stops being hypocritical. And so he, the Lord, is the one who's doing this. You have to understand his, his, we have to understand his covenant relationship with these very special people because he selected them. Not special because of their DNA. Like the, well, DNA is DNA of Israel but not because there's anything genetically superior about them. It's just that they've been selected, that they are the descend they are the covenant descendants of Abraham. And so God is working with them in a very special way, and we cannot understand the Bible unless we understand God's commitment to his word. He never, ever, ever goes back on his word. So it's the Lord who's created it. Now, now he says this, so you got to understand this process. It's like a washing machine. Getting the soil out of the clothes, it's got to kind of beat up the clothes and, and tumble them and really rigorous shake them in order to loosen the dirt. Israel is going through God's washing machine. And that's what's going to loosen the filth from them. And at the end, they're going to shine as the holy, as the holy kingdom, a kingdom of priests on the earth. And so he says this, now, because it's such a difficult process, he says, Woe unto him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. So God is saying, like, he's the potter, and this um, vessel, let's say it's a pot that he creates, if you want to have an argument, pick an argument with another pot. But don't pick an argument with the potter. I'm the one who shapes you the way I want you. And so there's, there's a contention. He says in Isaiah 1 that he's raised up children and they've rebelled against him. The, the, the children are having an argument with their father. So woe unto him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, What are you making? Or your work? He has no hands. What are you doing? 
So I think a great, um, a great uh, example or illustration of this argument with the, uh, with the potter is uh, a scene from The Fiddler on the Roof. So uh, listen to this. Dear God, did you have to send me news like that today of all days? I know, I know we are the chosen people. But once in a while, can't you choose someone else? <laughs> once in a while, can't you choose somebody else? Uh, th I think that's a great expression of this, uh, this verse here in Isaiah 45, verse 9. Striving with your maker, uh, not enjoying the process and arguing with God. I instead of just submitting to God and understanding that these, you have been chosen as a, as a special people to lead the rest of the earth to God. And, but they're, they're, they're arguing with God and God says, woe unto you. Woe unto him that says unto his father, What have you begotten? So in Isaiah 44, he says, I formed you from the womb. But in Isaiah 1, he says, I've, I've nourished children and I've brought them up and they've rebelled against me. Woe unto him that says unto his father, What have you begotten? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, The Holy One of Israel. <laughs> the God of the universe identifies himself as the Holy One of Israel. And yet Israel is arguing with its maker. We don't want, we, we, we don't want you. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We want to hear smooth things. We don't want to go through the washing machine. And God is saying, look, I am, I, I've named myself the Holy One of Israel forever. Therefore Israel must be forever. So therefore I have to fashion you into this people that I can be glorified in. Thus says the Lord, so this is to the one arguing with his maker, thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons. So if you don't understand this process that you're going through, why don't you just ask me, what is the outcome? What am I, what am I driving you toward? Because it's going to be glorious. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands command you me. So again, we have to take the whole passage in context that God says, look, I create peace and I create evil. Don't just take that and run off with it by itself. Keep the context. And what God is saying is, I'm putting you through a washing machine. And you'll see if you obey me, you're blessed. But if you disobey me, go and read Deuteronomy. I'm going to do every single thing that I said so that you know that when the words come out of my mouth, they matter. And I never go back on my word. But ultimately, because of my promise to Abraham, you people are not destroyed. That's why in Malachi it says, I the Lord change not, Malachi 3. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. It's because of his promise to Abraham that Jacob is not destroyed. And that he calls himself the Holy One of Israel forever. I have made the earth and created man upon it. Even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. So God is the one saying, look, I'm the one who created the whole earth. You're going to argue with me? 
I created the whole earth and I've created Israel from the womb for a special place in the earth. And the earth is not right until God is glorified in Israel. That there have to be human beings on the earth called Israel and Judah and the rest of the earth has to acknowledge that God is in Israel and he's glorified and until this happens the world is a mess. Don't argue, I, I, I'm just giving, I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. A lot of people have trouble with this. Don't have trouble with it. Don't argue with God. So whether Jew or Gentile, are you going to argue with the maker? He says, I have raised him up in righteousness. So now he's speaking about Cyrus. And, and it's not that Cyrus has to be righteous. It's that God is raising him up to set the world right. And as long as Judah is being subjugated in Babylon, the world is not right. So he's raising up Cyrus in an act of righteousness to put the world right, to release Judah, to allow Judah back to Jerusalem to set the world right. And I will direct all his ways. So as powerful a king as he was, he was being directed by God. He, Cyrus, shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. 150 years beforehand, God is saying that this powerful king that is going to subdue nations all around, he's going to be kind to Judah. And he's going to allow Judah to go back to Jerusalem and not for personal gain. It's just going to be something that needs to be done. He's going to see that it's the, the will of God and he's going to do it. 150 years before the act, before the man is even conceived, God pronounces what's going to happen. Thus says the Lord, the labor of Egypt and the merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over unto you and they shall be yours and they shall come after you. In chains they shall come over and they shall fall down unto you. They shall make supplication unto you saying, surely God is in you and there is none else there is no God. Now this verse is a little bit tricky. Uh, this verse 14, many commentators will say that this is speaking of Cyrus, that all of these nations are going to come to Cyrus. Uh, the Egyptians and the Ethiopians and the Sabians are going to come to Cyrus. They're going to come in chains. They're going to fall down before him. And they're going to say, surely God is in Cyrus, is in Persia, and there is no other God. Uh, no. No, Cyrus doesn't uh, acknowledge, doesn't worship God. He's he's a um, secular king, but he's he's going to be shown everything so that he knows that God is in Israel. And so this verse really is better understood that surely God is in Israel. God is in Judah. God is in Jerusalem, and there's no other God except the God of Israel. That's what this is saying. And this is supported by other parts of Isaiah and other prophets as well. They're all saying the same thing. We'll get to Isaiah 60 later, but just as a preview, he says, in terms of the, these nations glorifying Israel, he says here in Isaiah 60, Then you shall see and flow together, and your heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. So all the wealth of the sea is going to come to Jerusalem. And the wealth of the Gentiles shall come unto you. So all this wealth from the Gentiles is going to flow to God's people. The multitude of the camels 
shall cover you. The dromedaries are the young camels of Midian and Ephah. Ephah was the son of Midian. And this is Arabia. So the Arabs, so the wealth of the Arabs is going to come to uh, Judah. And then below Arabia is Sheba, which is today what the part we call Yemen. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. This is what it means. That all of these uh, Gentiles are going to acknowledge, wow, the God of the universe is the God of Israel. And let us go and worship the God of Israel. And let us bring our gifts to the priests of God to facilitate our worship of the God of Israel. This is when the world is right. When God is known to be the God, the Holy One of Israel. They shall show forth the praises of the Lord. The Gentiles will show the praises of the Lord. Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your sons from far. So your sons that have been taken captive, the Gentiles are going to bring them for me. Their silver and their gold with them. So they're going to bring your sons, and they're going to bring their wealth as well, because they're, they've repented, and they've acknowledged that God is the God of Israel. Unto the name of the Lord your God, and to the Holy One of Israel. The whole world is going to acknowledge that God is the Holy One. He's attached to Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. And He will be glorified in Israel. Because He has glorified you. So God's intention is to glorify this people. And to have the whole world acknowledge their glory. And by acknowledging their glory, they're acknowledging the special relationship, the covenant relationship that God has with them. And by doing that, they're acknowledging that the only God is the God of Israel. And the sons of strangers shall build up your walls. So they're actually going to come and serve you. The sons of strangers are going to come to Jerusalem and they're going to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And their kings shall minister unto you. So it's a very big mistake of the Shah of Iran to say that he's the king of kings. There's only one king of kings. And that king of kings says to all the kings, serve my people. So the kings are going to come and serve Israel. And their king shall minister unto you. For in my wrath I struck you. I, I, the Lord, I create peace and I create calamity. And in my wrath I created calamity. In my wrath I struck you. But in my favor have I had mercy on you. So this is the plan of God. It's just repeated over and over and over. And we cannot understand the Bible unless we understand Isaiah. Therefore... Your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles. So the reason the gates of Jerusalem will never be closed is so that all the Gentiles can bring their wealth continually into Jerusalem. That's why. They're going to bring it to the priests of God. And these people are going to acknowledge, and they're going to be acknowledged, and they're going to take these offerings and, and the wealth of Jerusalem will be the wealth of Judah and Israel. And that their kings may be brought. So the reason the gates are open is so that all these kings can come. You know what uh, the Shah of Iran was trying to do in Persia, uh, in Iran, in the 1970s, is, is a kind of a, a counterfeit of what God is going to do. To invite all the kings of the earth to see his glory. So that he is glorified in Israel. For the nation, verse 12, and kingdom that will not serve you 
my people, Israel and Judah, the nation or kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. We see that in Zechariah 14. Yes, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Notice this as well. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. They're going to be sorry. They're going to come and they're going to acknowledge you. And all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. This is where the world is going. This, this is the outcome. So ask me, God says, ask me concerning my sons. You're, you're arguing with your maker. This is the outcome. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to establish you as the head nation of the earth. But I've got to work. I've got to drive out the hypocrisy. And I've got to make you a holy people. And I have to drive you to that point where you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, and so we see this anti-Semitism rising all over the world. Whereas you've been forsaken and hated so that no man went through you, I will make you an eternal excellency. A what? An eternal excellency. A joy of many generations. God will be the Holy One of Israel forever. Even when the whole process is complete and all mankind has been born into the family of God, He will still be known as the Holy One of Israel. Because the only way into the family is through one of the gates of Israel. And so God is only married to Israel. And Gentiles will be grafted into Israel in order to have a relationship with God. And so for eternity, God will be known as the Holy One of Israel. And, and He's not related to anybody else. Only Israel. You shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and you shall suck the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. I'm, your, I'm the Savior of Israel and your Redeemer. No, he doesn't say that you will. the whole world will know that I'm the Savior of Gentiles. He's not. He's the Savior of Israel. And through Israel, he'll save the Gentiles as enabling the Gentiles to be converted into Israel. And if you're not an Israelite, you're a dog. So says the Bible. So all Gentiles will be invited to convert into Israel. That's why God has to say He has His priorities. He's saving Israel first. Now in the first fruits calling, we get a preview of the fall harvest. That in the first fruits calling, the door is opened for Gentiles to come in. In the same way that when the fall harvest is set up, the door will be opened for Gentiles to come in. So Gentiles now are grafted into Israel. So that the first fruits calling is Israel with the Holy Spirit as a preview of the new covenant, which is coming in the fall harvest. I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I mean, how many times does God have to say this before we say, okay, I finally get it? But we don't want to get it. We keep wanting to make God the God of the Gentiles. He stopped being the God of the Gentiles in Genesis 12. So prior to Genesis 12, you could say, yeah, God is the God of the whole earth. But after Genesis 12, no more. He is only the God of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. And the rest of the world has to come into the family of Abraham, into the covenant community, in order for God to be our God. So back to Isaiah 45, he says, Truly, truly you are a God that hides yourself. So they're striving with their maker. Why are you doing this? They don't understand why. Because God hides himself. And the whole earth is saying, where is your God? 
And, and our God is God. And our God is the greatest God. Because God hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior. So the Savior is a God that hides himself. And that's what David says in Psalm 44, verse 24. Therefore you hide your face and forget. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? So, so Israel is suffering and God doesn't seem to be responding because he hides himself. <clears throat> God says here in Isaiah um, 45, continuing in verse 16, They shall be ashamed and also confused, all of them. They shall go into confusion together that are the makers of idols. So all these folks that are full of idolatry and they're persecuting God's people, they are going to be ashamed, so says the Bible, and they're going to go into confusion. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left, oh, this is, sorry, Zechariah, uh, Zechariah 14, that this is reinforcing what Isaiah saw, that any nation that does not come, so all these nations that came against Jerusalem, they're going to worship God. They're gonna, this is what Isaiah saw that they're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to bring their offerings and they're going to worship and they're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and whoever does not come up of all the families of the earth to, to Jerusalem to acknowledge that God is the Holy One of Israel and to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, they're going to starve to death. They're going to have a severe famine. And if the family of Egypt does not go up, so they're so bitter, they're so angry, they believe that their God was the greatest God and they're so bitter against the Jews that they can't bring themselves. There's been such hostility that they cannot bring themselves to worship with the Jew and to submit themselves to the Jew when they wanted the Jew to be subjugated. That if they do not come and, and, and they still have no rain and they still refuse to come, then there will be the plague, exactly what Isaiah said, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen, the Gentiles that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we need to, and, and to you know, this is the fall harvest now, when God sets up Israel and invites the whole world to salvation, that if the first fruits, if we are first fruits Christians, how can it be that we do not keep the Feast of Tabernacles? When there is such a lesson in these days that God wants the whole world keeping these days so that they can understand His plan. And if you don't understand the plan of God, it, how it's contained in the holy days, uh, please write to us, info at cgi.org, info at cgi.org and ask for literature on God's holy days. So he says, this will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that, and so he says that there'll be the plague on all of them. And there will be in, in Israel, in Judah, upon the bells of the horses, holiness unto the Lord. It's gonna be spectacular. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. So even a simple pot is going to be so spectacular, there's going to be so much wealth in Jerusalem that it's going to be mind-blowing. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. It's going to be a truly holy place, and the people will be holy. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein, and in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So the Canaanite now, they have influenced all this region. And this actually was their land originally, and God drove them out and put his people there. And as a result, they're full of resentment, 
and they believe that it's their land, but these are very filthy people, and you have to go back to Genesis to see where this filth comes from, and these are the children of uh, Canaan, and you need to understand Ham and Canaan and that whole family and the whole line where that 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 uh, degeneracy comes from, and not not in not in physical but moral standards. And Canaan was a land of prostitution and pedophilia and every vile practice. That's why God said to the Israelites, when you go in there, you shall not learn their ways. Don't have anything to do with them. Just clean them out. We're going to start anew. And so they've been fighting ever since to get back into this land. And God says, when he comes, no more, ever, will a Canaanite be in the house of the Lord of, of the Lord our host. They have to convert and become Israelite in order to come in. Uh, Ezekiel says the same thing. He sees the same thing. He says, And say unto it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. Mount Seir is Edom, the, the Edomites. So again, these are the, the neighbors of uh, Israel, and these are Muslim peoples. Uh, this is what the Bible says. We just have to see where is Mount Seir today. These are the surrounding nations of uh, uh, Judah. O Mount Seir, I am against you, and I will stretch out my hand against you. And I will make you desolate. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate. And you shall know that I am the Lord. The Holy One of Israel is the Lord. Nobody else. Because you have had a perpetual hatred. It's a perpetual hatred. It, it goes all the way back. You've had a perpetual hatred. It goes to their forefather, Esau. There's been this perpetual hatred. The, the whole culture has had this animosity to Jacob. Because you have had a perpetual hatred, that means today. That, that the hatred that we see in the world today, it's perpetual. And so we have to go back to the root of it. Where did it start? You've had a perpetual hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword. Hmm. Who has the sword on their flag today? And who's beheading the Jews? And who has this perpetual hatred? In the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end, because you have said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. Who's saying that? And we will possess it, whereas the Lord was there. And part of this uh, uh, UN uh, compact for safe, orderly, and regular migration is a part of this process that, that's taking place of possessing the land that isn't theirs. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, I will even do according to your anger. So your anger is going to turn back on you and according to your envy so it's anger and it's envy which you have used out of your hatred so we see anger we see envy we see hatred that you have used out of your hatred against them and I will make myself known among them when I have judged you so we have to be very clear as to who's who according to the biblical view and you shall know that I am the Lord and that I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel saying, They are laid desolate, they are given to us to destroy. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me, and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, so he's saying to Israel now, the enemy has said against you, Aha! Even the ancient high places are ours in possession. And you really have to check out the, the uh, UN, UN Human Rights Council, where they've all agreed that... Uh, Israel belongs to, or Judah belongs to the Palestinians, that Jerusalem does not belong to the Jews, that the Jews have no history there, that all the history of Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinians. This is saying the ancient places are ours 
in possession. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen. So God is jealous over Israel. He's jealous over Judah. And in that jealousy, he's going to speak over the, in the fury of that jealousy against the heathen. And against all Edom, so the whole of the Edomite, which have appointed my land into their possession. God says, this is my land, and I've given it to Israel. And you've taken it away and said that it's your land, but God is saying it's my land. And they've taken my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart. So they're going to be, they're going to be thrilled that they have it with despiteful minds to cast it out for a prey. And we see in Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2, what they're going to do to the land. But Israel shall, so God says here through Isaiah, Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Israel will be saved with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or confused, nor confused, world without end. Israel will be glorified forever because God says, I'm the Holy One of Israel. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. So he's the one that created the heavens, he's formed the earth, he established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. So all of the destruction that we're going to see when, when Israel falls and the nations of Israel fall and the heathen gets the upper hand and they're full of destruction, God is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't create the world for this. I created the world to be inhabited. And for the world to be inhabited, Jerusalem must be safe. Because Jerusalem is the headquarters of the world. So he says, I, I didn't create it in vain. And that word for vain is, is tohu. Uh, and we see that in Genesis 1. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. And so we see that in uh, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was tohu and bohu. So without form is uh, tohu. So God says, I didn't create the world. In Tohu, so this is uh, for Genesis one and two. We know that when God, when when we read there in Genesis one, it can't be the very very beginning because God doesn't create in confusion. So something happened that drove the earth into confusion. Back to Isaiah forty-five. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. So God is saying, look, I mean what I say, and all these are uh, replacement theology theologians who think that God has done away with Jacob, God has done away with Israel. The church is now Israel, and God has nothing to do with Israel. God is saying, whoa, 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 slow down. I didn't say to Jacob, seek me in vain. I meant what I said, and I am going to be glorified in Jacob. So this verse alone destroys replacement theology. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. God is very careful about what he speaks. He says through Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus was on the, the earth, that every vain word that we speak, we'll be held into account for. We'll be judged over everything we speak. If we're held to such a high standard, what standard do you think God holds himself to? He speaks righteousness. I declare things that are right. So God, and what God is saying here is, if you have a God that's full of abrogation, that he says one thing and then he says he changed his mind and, and, and he's constantly contradicting himself, that is, God could never be the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible speaks righteousness. He declares things that are right. He doesn't have to second-guess himself. Everything he says, he means. And we, we see that over and over from Deuteronomy. He says, so he says here that uh, he has not spoken in secret to Israel. 
And he didn't say to them, Seek me in vain. So he says here in Deuteronomy, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are things that are known in Israel. And he says here in Deuteronomy, uh, Here for this commandment, which I command you this day, it is not hidden from you, neither is it far off. So Israel knows these things were not hidden from them. They may be hidden from the Gentiles, but they're not hidden from Israel. He says here in Deuteronomy, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near unto you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So I'm just looking at the time. I think I'll stop here. We'll continue in Isaiah 45 and verse 20 when I come back. I just want to see if, in fact, I can uh, load comments uh, from Facebook. Let's see if this works. I'll just see if I can do this. I'm just, just experimenting here, so uh, pardon me while I experiment. And I see I can do this now. This is cool. So I think hopefully the comment will come across. Let's see here. Oh yeah, this is working. I think I think I saw it. All right, so that is working. So thank you, Willow. Thank you for joining in. And let's see if I can get some more comments here. <laughs> some thanks, uh, words of love. Really appreciate that. Uh, some amens. And a very interesting message from from uh, Pearl Gonzalez. Thank you, Pearl. Yeah, so lots of acknowledgments, so that's great. Uh, so this is good. This, is, uh, this works. Um, I'm, I'm finally figuring out how to use this uh, software, or use this new feature. I like technology, so pardon me as I uh, play with the technology here. So um, that is uh, Isaiah, part up to um, verse 19 of Isaiah 45. I will, yeah, thank you. Fiddler on the Roof is the name of the movie, and it's a great movie, says uh, Diane. So we will um, continue uh, next week, God willing, with uh, Isaiah 45 and 46, but we'll pick up Isaiah 45 from verse 20. I'm going to head over to the chat. We can have a bit of words over at cgi.churchonline.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. What a great God we serve. And, and, and God says in the Psalms that he has exalted his word above even his own name. God takes his word so seriously. Let's take his word seriously. Let's read it and believe it and hang our hat on it. And just, we, we won't budge because of his word. And when we have that understanding and that confidence, we can then comfort his people. And we can, sell, we can say to Judah, don't be afraid. And we can say to the nations of Israel, don't be afraid, fear not. The God of Israel is your God and he will come and save you. This is our message, but first we have to believe God's message, and we have to believe the prophet Isaiah. Thank you for joining. What a mighty God we serve. God bless.